Lord, we come to you tonight, and we are so grateful to be able to be here to worship you, and to just give freely of our, our devotion to you in this place. Lord, what a blessing to live in a country where worshiping you is still free, and something that we can do without any fear or worry of persecution or oppression. And this is a great blessing that you have given to this country, Lord, the freedom that we enjoy. And yet, Lord, we see even at work in this country, there are, of course, forces of darkness, Lord. And as a nation, Lord, we, we, we seem to be sliding away from those founding principles wherein we enjoy these freedoms. And so, God, our hearts are heavy tonight for what we see just in the news, Lord, and this terrible tragedy that has struck these families and children and really innocent bystanders coming out to enjoy a celebration day at the Boston Marathon and this tragedy has struck. We pray, God, that you would work even in, <clears throat> even in this situation. God, that you would, as only you can, take that which is evil and turn it for good. Bring about something good, Lord, in the lives of those that have been touched and injured, Lord. We pray that you would minister spiritually to them. We pray that the gospel would have opportunity, Lord, in the hearts. We pray that Boston would be humbled to, to seek and look to God. And God, that you would use this even in our nation as an opportunity for your purposes to be fulfilled. We do pray comfort. We pray, God, for help. We pray protection. And God, we ask now finally that you would just speak to us tonight as we gather together here studying your word. Lord, that these things would once again be hidden in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. We'll be looking at chapters 10 and 11. Uh, I don't know if we'll get through both chapters tonight, but they'll kind of go together under this heading of uh, what I've entitled the, this study through these chapters, Keeping Your Heart with All Diligence. Keeping Your Heart with All Diligence. You may know this proverb, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so we, we've been studying here in Deuteronomy, of course, is Moses giving this generation that is about to embark across the Jordan River to go in and begin to conquest and take hold of the promised land. Moses, in his very last years, he's 120 years old, and he's now kind of restating the law again, the principles of the law, and giving much of his own heart and commentary on for what he desires and what God desires for this nation. And uh, we've been studying here in chapters 7 through 11, uh, really quite heavy of spiritual warnings and really guarding your heart and being careful because when you go across and God begins to bless, uh, you'll be tempted to compromise. They'll be tempted to, to kind of just grow comfortable and, and you'll forget some of the blessings and some of the things that you've learned here in the wilderness. And Moses is encouraging them really to, to maintain spiritual vigilance as they go in. We saw in chapter 7, uh, they were encouraged not to compromise, not to be afraid. We looked uh, last week at chapters 8 and 9. Chapter 8, 
uh, not growing spiritually lazy. And of course, number nine, not chapter nine, not forgetting the grace of God, all the mercy that God has shown you thus far. And here in chapters 10 and 11, Moses will now exhort them to really guard their heart. And this is uh, the essence of all the law and all the things that God has given to this children, these, this nation, these children of Israel. Uh, his primary desire, of course, is that it would go into the heart. Not just an outward religion, not just an outward knowing of, of these principles, but really a change within the heart. This is ultimately what God desires for all of our lives, that, that we would love Him and know Him and serve Him from our heart. So I want to take a look here as we work through. The first thing I'd like you to look at with me, verses 1 through 11, is... Uh, You must be able to receive a new start. Take a look, verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand, and he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. And then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Now, you may remember Moses, when he was originally Uh, up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, uh, the children of Israel began to compromise down at the foot of the mountain. And they began to actually wonder where Moses was. He'd been up there so long, and they they began to actually uh, worship the golden calf. You remember Aaron uh, fashioned a golden calf, and they began to worship and dance and commit this idolatry. While Moses is on the mountain receiving the commandments for the nation, they are down at the foot of the mountain sinning against the Lord. Moses comes down from the mountain, and he is so grieved at what he sees that he takes the tablets and he throws them to the ground, and they're broken. You remember that account? We studied that back in Exodus. God then dealt with discipline in those that had rebelled and stirred this up. And now God has called Moses back up to the mountain, and he went back up, received the Ten Commandments again, came down, they built the Ark of the Covenant, they put the the tablets of Ten Commandments within the Ark, and all the instruction about the tabernacle. And Moses is just kind of reviewing, reminding the nation of what happened the first time that the commandments were given. And this generation would have been very young, Uh, some of them, you know, probably just children, but they would have been alive to have seen it. And yet, because everyone 20 years or younger uh, is what's left after these 40 years, so some of them are probably just teenagers, and they, they saw what was going on. And Moses is reminding them of all of this. And he's trying to let them know that even though, you know, there was this sin, there was this mistake, God was merciful. And, you know, I... God called me back up onto the mountain and said, get some more tablets, we'll do this again. And uh, and he re-instructed with the Ten Commandments, rewrote them on the tablets and, and, and continued his plan. And it's important to reflect on this for them because 
They're getting ready now to go into this promised land, and it's important that their heart really understand that God is moving forward with them now as a nation. God is not bringing these things to mind to, so, to, to bring a condemnation upon them, but rather to remind them that He is in fact a merciful God, a God of second chances, a God of second, third, and fourth chances, as he's been recounting some of their shortcomings in the wilderness. And this is an important understanding for all of God's children. If we're going to go forward in the Lord, we have to be able to receive a new start from God. We can't go back and undo the past. We have to allow the Lord, by His grace, to forgive. We have to confess. We have to repent. We have to turn from those things. But then we have to be willing to receive a new start from the Lord. A heart that is carrying the guilt and shame of the past is not going to be able to enjoy the victories and the conquest of the promised land. The enemy is going to use those guilts, those shames, those, those, those little demons from, from the past failures to undermine the work of God in the future. And so a heart must let go of those things that God has forgiven and that God has cleansed. It's hard sometimes because in our hearts we don't really feel like we deserve it. And the truth is, we don't. And we never will be able to deserve it. We will never be able to earn it back. We will never be able to, to, to pay the Lord back and somehow even the scale so that we can then feel comfortable about going forward and feel like, okay, I'm good with him now by something that we have done, something that we can fix. You have to come to the place where you surrender to the Lord and his mercy and his grace. And this is so important for a heart that wants to go forward. I've shared my own testimony with you. I was reminded of it here recently, just talking with a brother on Sunday, and he was reminding me of some of my testimony and how it ministered to him. And I can tell you that for many years, I was hindered because of shortcomings, failures, sins of the past as a young man. And those things haunted me even as a Christian who was then living for the Lord no longer entangled in the bondages of sin, but still carrying something of that shame. And I, I carried around secretly, kind of as a weight, and in my own heart, I, there were certain things about ministry that I would not allow myself to consider. I wouldn't tell anybody, it wasn't something I was talking about, but it was just something in my own heart, I felt like, Lord... I don't even want to dream, I don't even want to imagine that you could use my life in certain areas. Some things seemed to be okay for me. I kind of discerned, you know, my own uh, foolishness, what, what would be appropriate for me. And then certain kinds of ministry, no, I just that would be too much for me to imagine that God could use my life. And over the course of years, this really hindered my walk. It certainly hindered my ministry life and very limited in terms of what I would give myself to do in ministry because of these, these you know, burdens that I was carrying. 
And on more than one occasion, there are a couple of occasions that, that stick to my mind very clearly. Uh, one was in a church service. There was a visiting uh, brother ministering, and he called me up out of, the, out of the congregation and said, Brother, I feel like the Lord's given me a word for you. And he called me up and he shared this word with me. And I was very skeptical. I am very skeptical by nature. So I thought, well, we'll see if he's got a word or not, you know. <clears throat> Probably not, but okay. But he began to speak into my life, and I, could, I, I knew that the Lord had given him discernment. He said something very insightful. He said, you know, I see in you that God wants to use you, but you're hindered. And there's something that is hindering you. And he said, you're kind of like Jacob. You're a man with a limp. And that's just, you know, it just spoke to my heart. He didn't know. He No way he could know. But he spoke that into my heart, and I realized, okay, God may still want to use me. Well, it was several years later after that, because I, I still just, you know, wrestled with this. And it was some years later when we would ultimately end up in Calvary Chapel in La Mirada, and uh, my, but my friend and pastor there, Pastor Brian, he and I were just praying one day, just together to pray about the church and ministry. And he said, you know, I felt like the Lord has given me a word for you. I said, well, what is it? He said, I saw this vision of you. He said, you're like this man that's carrying and dragging around a ball and chain. And it's like, you know, you're getting around okay, but you're having to drag and carry this thing with you. You're not able to go nearly as quickly as you need to. You're not able to do and... And, and go the places that God wants you to go, you're, you're, you're getting around, but you're greatly hindered and limited. And he said, the Lord wants you to know that those things of the past are forgiven and cleansed, and you are those, those things are broken and you are set free. And it was such a clear word, and it just confirmed, like I said, things that the Holy Spirit had already been trying to bring me to, uh, that it that it just it made all the difference for me. I, I decided that day, Lord, I I'm going to let it go. I I, I can't. I, I'm going to just go forward as though you still want to use my life, as if you really are a God of second chances, and that you're able to to use my life in any way that you desire. And I want to be available. And I want to give myself freely to that. And I want to be able to dream about whatever you would call me to. I don't want to be limited by my own sense of inadequacy or past failures or you know guilt shame things that would limit you and i want to say to your heart tonight that he is a god i didn't plan for this he is a god of many chances that's not a license to live foolishly but it is a call Paul said one thing is very clear Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief said the Apostle Paul and so I want to encourage your heart tonight to allow the Lord to bless you with his mercy and his grace If you're in sin, if you're entangled in sin right now, then this is the time 
to be set free. It's time to put it to end. It's time to confess and come clean with God and let Him set you free. If you're carrying around the guilt and the shame of past and, and it's just hindering and in some way it, you know that you're carrying it, it's time to put it down. It's time to let the Lord give you a brand new start. Behold, old things have passed away. All things are made new. Moses, as he goes through reminding these children of Israel, he is careful not only just to point out their shortcomings, but he's also careful to point out how God has continued to keep promise and covenant with them. He's up getting the the command, the Ten Commandments, and they're downplaying harlotry. Imagine. Imagine that that would be maybe ruin it, but Moses interceding for them and God forgiving. Here we go again. The, the Ten Commandments reissued, and God has brought them all this way to continue to work in their life. The first thing that you must receive in keeping your heart with all diligence is you must receive the grace of God that is needed for a new start. He is, think of the Bible examples that we have, the men that that we know in the scriptures, Abraham, certainly he failed. Moses himself, you remember he killed that Egyptian when he was a younger man and in exile for many years, but God raised him up and used him. David, of course, Peter denying the Lord. Don't let fear and condemnation overcome your heart. Receive what God has for you in grace and his continued purpose. Let's move on. I want to pick it up now in verse 12. The second thing in keeping your heart with all diligence is that you would love God with all your heart. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. What does the Lord your God require? Here you are, Israel. You're at the border of the promised land, and you need to ask yourself again, what is it that God is looking for from you? And he is looking for love, sincere love, towards him from your heart, that you would fear him. This speaks of reverence. This speaks of priority. This speaks of honoring God with what is due Him, that you would walk in His ways, that you would love Him, that you would serve Him with all your heart and soul, that you would keep His commandments, notice what He says, for your good. God is, these commandments are given for your good. God is not giving these things to limit you or to in in any way hinder what what you might be able to do with your life if only I were free of His commandments. God has given you these things for your good. And God is asking you to to trust Him in love and and to come to Him and serve Him 
not out of regulation or religion, but out of love. Now we know that he's giving them laws and commandments, but you see what he wants. It's not He doesn't want you going through the checklist of commandments. I did that, I did that, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him. These commandments are for your protection. These are for your good. These will keep you in the land. These will keep you blessed in the land. These will bless your family and bless your household. This will bless your walk and relationship with me. But what I desire is that you would keep them because you love me, because you trust me, because you know that I love you, and that if you will serve me, you will be blessed. When we think about this, even in the New Testament, we think about the New Covenant. If we're honest, as we look at these things that God is desiring, we would have to admit, just as the children of Israel found out, we're not able to keep them entirely, are we? We fall short. Even when our heart desires to keep them, we're not always able to keep them. And these things, they cannot be kept in our own strength. And of course, we know that the law was ultimately given, Paul tells us, to lead us where? To Christ. That we would see through the law and the commandments our inability to keep them perfectly and we would recognize that we need a Savior. That we need a mediator. We need someone to either help us, give us the strength to do it, and not only that, but someone to to forgive us for the shortcomings and the times that we fall short. And this, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Interesting what Jesus said. You don't need to turn, but let me remind you, John six twenty eight. They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? They come, they ask Jesus a sincere question, you know. God gave through Moses clear instruction on, on what they were supposed to do. We're asking you, what should we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. All that this commandment calls us to is ultimately fulfilled in us the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 8 that the requirements of the law have been accomplished in us through our faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. You will not be able to keep the law in perfection, but the moment you believe in Christ, All the requirement of the law has been made perfect in you. The very righteousness of God has been accredited to you when you believe in Jesus. That's why when they asked Jesus, what work should we do? He didn't give them a list. He said, believe in me. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Not only will he bring you to that place of having met and, you know, the requirements of the law are now met in you because of what Christ has done. But He will also give you of His Holy Spirit and give you the strength and power to begin to live these things out. And so we need a life that's empowered by the Spirit. We need a life that is reconciled with God, not by our own works and efforts, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so God, even in the Old Testament, calling them to this, but even in so doing, He's pointing ultimately to the fulfillment of these things, In Jesus Christ, when you believe in Christ, 
all that God requires is fulfilled. He then empowers you to live it out. It says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. As we come into the love of God, He actually gives us the grace to keep His will and to keep His commandments. They are not burdensome. They become, as Moses said, for your good. And God gives you the grace and the ability to do it. And it comes from a heart of love. It comes from a heart of trust. You know, remember the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. Jesus would correct them saying, I have this against you that you have left your first love. God desires obedience. God is looking for us to serve him. But he's looking for it to be done with a heart of love. Keeping your heart with all diligence means loving God with all your heart. Let's move on here in our text. The third thing he calls out in verses 15 through 17, he calls them to circumcise their heart. The Lord delighted. In the right spot? Yeah. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples. And it is this as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Cut away the hardness of your heart, he says, and be stiff-necked, be stubborn no longer. If you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to walk with the Lord, there's going to have to be a tenderness of heart. We can't be hard-hearted and walk in close fellowship with God. And so he says, you know, cut away the foreskin of your heart. Now, these were God's chosen people. You remember that God made covenant with Abraham. But the covenant was a spiritual covenant. It was a covenant between God and Abraham of the heart, of the spirit circumcision was merely the sign of the covenant. It was to be kept only as a symbol of what God had done in the heart. And the covenant is a spiritual covenant. And so Moses says, cut away the flesh of your heart, the selfish, materialistic life, and embrace life in the spirit, in love and heart commitment to God. God is looking for relationship spiritual love and devotion, not outward ritual, but inward relationship. Don't let the ritual deceive you from the reality, keeping it outwardly, but not inwardly. Truthfully, God does not care about outward religious acts. There would come a time when God would ultimately even rebuke his people he would say, you know, your, your sacrifice, your burnt offerings, I don't want them anymore. But those were the things that God had commanded them to do, to make those sacrifices, to bring those burnt offerings. But when it became just this religious ordeal, people just going through the motions of, of making these sacrifices unto God, and their heart no longer in it, the meaning of it had been lost, and God said, I don't even want it anymore, I'm sick of it, get it away from me. 
I don't even, I don't, you're wasting your time. I will not receive those things because they're not coming from your heart. You're just going through an outward ritual, but your heart is far from me. Again, I, I think of that church in Laodicea where in the book of Revelation, there is the rebuke that you have become lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. There's something about this pretending to be spiritual, this pretending to be religious, when your heart is not in it and not right, that really offends the Lord. If you think about the things that really upset Jesus in his ministry, it wasn't some of the, you know, the real terrible sinners, right? It wasn't the tax collectors who he ended up dining with and one of them becoming his disciples, Zacchaeus, his whole household being saved. It wasn't the ones that the religious people wanted to have nothing to do with. Those people Jesus was okay with because they were real. They were sincere. Yeah, they were sinners, but they knew it. And they admitted it and they confessed it and they were able to receive grace and mercy because they were honest with God. The ones that Jesus had the greatest difficulty with were the religious phonies, the Pharisees, the outward garb and dress and, and respect and you know the greetings in the marketplace. So yes, we are so spiritual. Jesus, man, he said, you guys are a bunch of snakes, brood of vipers. It didn't go over well, by the way, but he called them out. God is not interested in man's religious works. He wants your heart. He wants you to be real with Him and before Him. And don't you know He sees? Don't you know He he knows your heart? You may fool men, but you will never fool God. God knows, and God is looking for the sincerity And he says to the children of Israel, guys, cut away anything that is covering your heart, any hardness, circumcise your heart. Be completely open before him. And don't be stiff-necked. Don't quit being stubborn. Quit being hard-hearted. Quit resisting God. Come to him in sincerity and love him from your heart with a true heart. So we too must be careful, church. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just pretend. We don't want to just look spiritual among men. We need to be real with God. And it requires a heart that is open, a heart that is true and sincere before Him, sensitive to the Lord. That cutting away, it means you know, what's, what's beneath is a very sensitive heart, moved by God. Open to God. Sensitive to His calling, His leading. Sensitive to His desire even for fellowship with us. And our hearts are tender towards Him. You must circumcise your heart. Fourth thing that I see here, verse 18 and 19, we must have His heart. We must have His heart. Look with me, verse 18. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, 
Love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God reminds them of his heart for the stranger, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. And he said, now, this is my heart. This needs to be your heart. And it shouldn't be too hard for you to love the stranger because you remember you were once strangers. Speaking to them, you remember when you were strangers in the land of Egypt? You remember the bondage, you remember the difficulty, you remember the struggle? And now when strangers come into your nation, you don't want to make them feel the way you felt when you were in Egypt. You want to love them, you want to embrace them, you want to bring them close because this is where my heart is. We had our men's fellowship, uh, men's study on Monday night. We talked about we're going through this study of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we talked about Monday, uh, to be a disciple of, of the Lord, a disciple needs a compassionate heart. Disciple means a student of Christ. In other words, we, we follow His model. We, we're, we're, we're kind of walking out His will in our lives. And we see this through the New Testament as well, this call for a compassionate heart. When we think of Jesus, Jesus was moved with compassion many times in his ministry. There were times when he wept. There were times when it says he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. He saw them and he felt like they were sheep without a shepherd. His heart went out to them spiritually for them. He, could, he realized these people are lost. They need help. They need truth. And it says that he stayed and ministered and taught them many things. Because of, because of his heart of compassion. There were times when he was moved with compassion and then he brought healing. You remember the leper that came to him in the Gospel of Mark. And said, Master, if you're willing to heal me, I know that I can be healed. And Jesus said, I'm willing. Be whole. Sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me tonight, but uh, yeah. That moves me, you know, that, that heart of Christ. Of course I'm willing. Of course I'm willing to meet you at your need. Of course I care about your situation. Of course my heart is tender towards you. And this is what God wanted in the heart of His nation. God wanted a people to represent Him in the earth. God wanted a people to show the kindness and the goodness and the love and the tenderness of God. You know, you read the Old Testament and, and you know, if, you're, if you don't find these, these places where God is really revealing His heart, you know, you can kind of think that it's all just judgment and fear and, and discipline. And there's plenty of that because the people were so stiff-necked. But you see His heart, guys... I want you, when you come into that land, I want this to be a place when the stranger comes, when the orphan comes, when the widow is there, they are loved, they are welcomed, they are received, and they, are, they feel my heart for them through your heart. God would call us to have His heart. James would say this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We talked about this, as I said, on Monday with the men, and 
I'll say this, I said it to them, I think sometimes we just need to have our spiritual antenna up. You know, we can get so busy kind of just bumping through our own lives that we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. Ever, ever happened to you? You know, you're busy, you're late, and oh my gosh, I've got to run to the market, and I've got to get gas in the car, and I, you know, there's people all around you, and you're just like, who are they, who cares? I've got to get going, you know? <clears throat> that happens to me sometimes. And then somebody from the church, I don't even know they're there, Oh, hi, Pastor. Oh, 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 hi, brother. You know, now I'm tender. I'm, oh, how can, you know, can let's pray, you know. <laughs> I got to be careful. I, you know, that's a reminder, man, I, gotta, I just can't walk around like this, my nose to the ground, just, you know, not paying attention. And if you notice, again, the life of Jesus, he was always just seemed to be in step with the Spirit of God. Whether he was sitting at a well, thirsty, and sees this Samaritan woman and says, Would you please draw me some water? You know that it wasn't the water that he was after. It was her heart. And he begins this conversation with her wherein she comes to faith. Wherein the whole town comes to faith. Because he had his Father's business on his mind. And this heart of God is is just being aware that you are Christ's representation in the earth. You are on mission. You are his, His heart, His hands, His feet, the church of Jesus Christ. I pray that this would be a place that the stranger would know they are loved and welcomed. That the widow and the orphan would find compassion and help that we would be caring for one another. And just as Moses told the children of Israel, it shouldn't be that hard for us because we were once lost. We were once needing love and forgiveness and mercy. And God was gracious to us and God was good to us. Let that be our heart for others. Fifthly, here tonight, finishing up chapter 10, I believe that we should praise Him from the heart. Verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. He is your praise, and He is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Hold fast to the Lord. He is your praise. I like that phrase. He is your praise. He is your boast. He is your champion, if you will. He is your hero. He is your praise. Moses, the song of Moses, after they came across the Red Sea, they broke out into song. The song of Moses recorded in Exodus, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. He's my strength. He's my song. He's my praise. Do you need reason to praise? It's Him. He is your praise. He is your covering. Hold fast to Him. Let there be praise in your heart because of Him. 
he says that, you know, when you, when you went down to Egypt, you were just 70 people, Jacob and his family and extended family and group. You know, you started in Egypt just 70 people. And look at you today, he said. By this time, there are somewhere approximately 2 million people waiting to go in and possess a promised land. Moses says, look what God has done. You came, there's this little feeble group of family, you know, starving to death and coming down to Egypt for food. And Joseph was there, already God having prepared the way for Jacob through Joseph. And you came in, just this ragtag group, 70 of you, and look at you today. Look what God has done. And you know, there's a testimony in our hearts too. You remember when you first came to the Lord. Ragtag group as we were. (laughs) But look what God has done. Look what God has done in your life. Look what God has done in your family. Look what He's doing in your life. Look what He's promised. Look what He has for you eternally. You know where you were headed. You know what was going on. You know the way you were living. Look at you today. He is your praise. He is your praise. You know, I'm going to... uh, I'm not going to cruise into chapter 11. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Because I want, I want us to, to stop at this break. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation chapter 5. Who is the praise of the New Testament church? Who's our praise? Jesus Christ. I want you to see this account. Something stirred, even as I was kind of getting this ready today, this whole idea of Him being our praise. It just, I don't know, I I just... He's our, our, you know, our our victor. He's our, our hope. He's our help. He's our... You know, you might get excited if, if you're if the, when the home team wins, right? There's like this, oh yeah, you know, our team won, and this guy really, you know, clinched the game for us. You know, the shot at the last second, or the home run in the bottom of the ninth, or the the touchdown pass at the end of the clock, or you know, and there's this just oh, you know, you rise up in in this celebration when someone does something incredible. And then you're rooting for them. And, I, and I, I want you to, you know, and those are fine. Those are good things to celebrate. But listen, nothing compared to what we have to praise about with the accomplishment of Jesus Christ and what He has done. And there's this vision in uh, Revelation chapter 5. The Apostle John is there and he records this account for us. It's a scene in heaven. And... There are spiritual truths here, and I'll kind of lay the groundwork and then we'll look at it together. But I, I thought of it, I thought, Lord, Jesus, you're, our, you're the praise of the church. You're the church's hero. You're, you know, we're the bride. You're the groom. You are our knight in shining armor. You are our returning king. And I just began to think, you're the Lamb of God. And I, th- these passages came to mind, and I went and I looked and I read them. And I, I, I don't know, if, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will put it into your heart the way it hit me today. I mean, it, it read like this, just this incredible drama. 
I want you to see this picture in heaven. There's something going on here. Uh, heaven, the court of heaven is, is there. There are angels, the elders representing the church. There are thousands of saints. And they are in this, they're at this scene. And God the Father is upon the throne. And He holds in His hand a scroll. Now we believe this scroll is in fact the title deed to the earth. It is the future for all of His people. And the question goes out, who can open the scroll? And no one is found to open the scroll. No one can redeem, no one can rescue, no one can bring back the title deed of the earth, which has been lost because of sin. But then someone shows up. I mean, mighty Casey coming to the plate. No comparison. This all of a sudden, one comes on the scene. And I, I want I want to just kind of I want you to read it like that, like you're seeing it in heaven before you. Follow with me, Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside, and on the back seals with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. You can just feel the heart of John broken and weeping. None can open this scroll. Verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and you can see you know, his eyes probably still cloudy with tears, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne... And of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And that he came, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, oh man, when he took that scroll, I mean, I'm, I just, I wish I could hear John tell this. When he laid his hand on that scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders representing the, the church fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they broke into song. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven 
and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever he is our praise amen amen he is our praise tonight none other than the lion of the tribe of judah the lamb of god slain and having redeemed us all by his own blood from every tribe and every tongue and every nation that we might reign with him forever as priests and kings he is worthy of our worship tonight he is our praise jesus christ is the praise of the church i want us to praise him i want us to spend a moment in worship and i want you to just i want us to be there okay i just want us to put ourselves there tonight and fall down before him lift your hands go to your knees stay seated however you feel let the lord just lead us into a a time of worship here with him and then i'm going to uh, allow a response after we worship and and uh Maybe some of you that would want to get your lives right with God tonight, you may need to give your heart to Jesus. You know what? We need to do that first, don't we? All right. All right. If you're here tonight and you you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you're wondering, what is this crazy man at the pulpit doing tonight? I'm excited because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life, what he's done in the life of us all, and what he wants to do in your life. You may be here tonight and you need that new start. You need God to set you free. You know that you've not lived up to the standards of God and his holiness, But he loves you so, and he wants to redeem you tonight. The very blood of Jesus shed to purchase you, to forgive you of your sins. So you may be here tonight, and you just need to receive the Lord for the first time. I just want to pray for you. Or maybe you're here tonight, and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to him. Maybe you're one like me. Maybe you're distant from God because you're just not able to bring yourself to receive that second chance, that third chance, the fifth, whatever, that coming back to God, and you need to come back to Him tonight. I want to pray for you. If you need to rededicate, recommit your life, if you need to have the power of sin broken in your life and the mercy and the grace of God, I want to pray for you. So... Before we worship and celebrate, I want you to have this peace in your heart so that you can worship with us tonight. If you're here tonight and you need the Lord for the first time or you need to rededicate your life to Him, you just raise your hand where I can see you. I'll pray for you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am, over here. Any others? In the back. Amen. God bless you. Anyone else before I pray? 
Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Receive what He has for you tonight. Anybody else, just before I pray. So, Lord, I thank you for these that have responded to you tonight. And, God, I pray that you would meet them. Lord, in their hearts, they would declare before you tonight, Lord, we need you. We come to you tonight. What work can I do? Believe on you. And so, Lord, we believe in you tonight. We receive the forgiveness that you have for us in Christ. We receive the mercy that comes to us through the blood of Jesus. God, we confess and acknowledge our need for you to save us. You're my praise. You're the lamb that was crucified at the cross for me. Cleanse me tonight. Set me free. Break those chains of bondage and give me through your spirit that I might live for you in blessing and fullness and peace. God, we ask all of this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, let's stand. Let's just um, let's let Jesus be our praise here in these closing moments tonight.